Good morning, Oak Grove family. Scott, we're, we're going to gather at the Lord's table this morning, but what, I don't know how you picked those songs out, but they, uh, they certainly uh, speak to that, speak to what we're going to be doing. Today. This morning's scripture reading will be Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, there we go. Now we got an echo. Anyway, thank you, Millie, for reading in uh, Philippians for us. We're going to start a, a series this month of February in Philippians. And so obviously this is the first Sunday in Philippians. <clears throat> Paul, thank you for leading us in communion. And I would echo what he said. My heart just broke when I heard what they were doing back east and it's so fitting that we, um, we start our month uh, celebrating communion together. So thank you for leading us in that and reminding us of the covenant that God made. You know, it's a blood covenant, and um, it's not contingent upon us. It's contingent entirely on what our Savior's done for us. Well, let's look to him in prayer as we uh, start our series in Philippians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together on this Super Bowl Sunday, this rainy day, this beautiful weather you've given to us. Thank you so much for the moisture and the snow that's coming in the high country, which we need so badly. Recognize that is a blessing from you. We just thank you for it. We thank you for the love we share here as a body. We are excited for the opportunity maybe to move to a different facility, and we just uh, 
has, <clears throat> pardon me, asked for wisdom for the elders as they are negotiating that for us. And we just trust you in all these things. Uh, we are yours uh, to serve you, and we are willing to do that whenever and wherever you desire to do. Father, just open our hearts that we might receive what you have for us this morning as we look to this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And we just look to you now and thank you in our Savior's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, um, let me get this thing on. We're going to need it. There we go. And um, <clears throat> what I want to do, instead of actually starting, and Dan, I need, uh, one of you, can you dim that, make that go away? Because I can, that one right there. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Man. Um, if you would, um, Paul goes to Philippi on his second missionary journey. And to learn about that, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn back to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Because <clears throat> to really understand what Paul is saying to the Philippians, it's really kind of interesting to go back and see his interaction with those people. So Acts chapter 16, and let me read for us, beginning in verse 6 through 12. Acts 16, 6 through 12. And they passed, this is Paul's second missionary journey, and they passed through the, uh, through the, now I can't ever say these things, but Ferragain and the Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysa, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing through Myasa, they came down to Torres, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man in Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea, from Torres we ran a straight course to Somerthrace and, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district. Let's stop right there. <clears throat> now, I don't know how your life has gone. But I suspect there have been times in your life when you have set out to do something and then it has just been stopped. And you've had to change course. And there we go. What I'm, what I'm thinking about here is, this is called the Macedonian vision. It's a closed door because Paul wanted, and his companions wanted to go north. And the Lord stopped that movement to the north. And he redirected them to go west. And we have the opportunity to look back on history and see how the gospel spread because of what happened right here on that second missionary journey. It did not spread to the north and to the east. The gospel spread across through Europe, ultimately to the new world, and kept going west and into Asia, generally speaking. And there was a reason for that, which we're going to see. And that's because at the time Paul was traveling, Rome was in control. And they built some amazing transportation systems in terms of their roads and their freighting systems and their ships and all this. But I think our first point <clears throat> that we want to take away from this, and some of us have lived long enough to experience this, is that 
oftentimes we plan our steps, but we only get so far and the Lord changes our course and then other things happen. Now at the time a closed door happens to us, that, that can be a very discouraging time in our life. And, and since Paul here is here, I want to share something in my background that happened with that. I thought I had worked for the Forest Service a bunch of years, and I thought I was going to have a career with the Forest Service. Took a year at Bible College, came back. My mom was dying. I needed a job to stay close. I worked construction for a year, then that ended, and mom was really in the process of dying, and I needed a job. And Paul, by his graciousness took me in and trained me sort of the best he could <laughs> with what he had to work with how to log and run equipment and do things like that and I will be eternally grateful for Paul and Donna for rescuing my family but giving us a job at a time we needed to stay close to help my dad with my mom's care the Lord shut the door in my life to working for the government with the Forest Service and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> because, what <laughs> because what happened working with Paul, I got the experience of what it took to get wood out of the woods from that perspective. That led me on with my biology to be able to work for the timber industry off and on as a consultant for the last 35 years. Had I not had that experience, had I had not had that shut door, that never would have happened. My point is this, is that God knows and loves us enough to know the very best for us. He knew that my personality would not work working for the government, okay? For other people it does, and that's, that's fine. But if you're at a point in your life where God is shutting a door, my encouragement is to you this day, or that you can encourage others, and Paul is our example here, that he loves us enough to turn us and direct us in a course that's not only good for us, but is good for the building of the kingdom, okay? And we're his servants, and we can trust him in that, okay? So do not be discouraged even when there doesn't look like anything's gonna open up. Something's gonna open up, and God's gonna move you forward. It reminds me of the verse there in Proverbs 19.9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord loves us enough to direct our steps. Trust him in that. So that's the first thing we want to take away, I think, this morning. I went the wrong way. Okay, this is Paul's second missionary trip. And it's really important to get the setting of what's going to happen here at Philippi to understand where Paul went and what's, what's going on here. So I have a pointer. And, okay, you see it right there. Now, Paul starts out down in here, and he travels up this way, and somewhere up in here is where the Lord forbids him to go up to Bithany and out this direction. So they turn west, and they don't know that this is exactly right. Others bring it kind of right through here. But here's where Torres is, right here. And they set sail, and they came, come to Neapolis, and then to Philippi, okay? That's where he, and that's where our story takes place, is on that journey. From there, he goes over, he gets in trouble here, which we're going to look at in the next, next couple weeks. Goes over to Thessalonica. He gets in trouble there. Paul stirs up a lot of trouble, okay, and gets himself beat up. And, you know, and that's going to happen when you take the gospel to where people don't want to hear it, i.e., the world system, in this case, Rome. And then he ends up down here in Berea. 
you know, and you know the story of the Bereans, they're much more receptive to the gospel. So that's, that's where our story begins to take place. And if we focus just a little bit more in, he lands by ship right here at Neapolis, and then he goes to Philippi. Now, I want you to notice, because he travels on a road right here. This is a Roman road, which I'll show you in just a moment, all the way through that the Romans built from way over in Europe. It went all the way across and all the way this way. And that was a major trading route, cross-country trading route. And it's one of the things the Romans did that helped spread the gospel because it allowed for rapid movement of trade and ideas and all kinds of, th all kinds of things. And I, you know, obviously the Romans did something and the Lord used it. Okay, this is Neapolis. Now Paul would have sailed obviously in from the right and this is the modern city of Neapolis. Uh, couldn't find anything, but that's the setting, hill country and everything. 20 miles in, up this road, the Via Ignatia, some of you Greek speakers can pronounce that correctly. This is, that picture is actually taken on the Roman road from Neapolis to Philippi. Paul would have walked right there. Isn't that cool? And that thing has been in existence just like that for 2,000 years, and it's still used to some extent. Okay, so he's walking that 20 miles with his companions, and then he comes to the road leads right into Philippi. And this is where the road enters the city. That's still the same Roman road. That's some serious road work to build all that without hydraulics and caterpillars and all that. That's all done by hand. Miles and miles and miles of that. Well, you know, the Romans were building all kinds of things. Okay, so he comes into Philippi. Now, Philippi, <clears throat> a little side note right here. Philippi is named for Alexander the Great's father, Philip. Okay, and it was a very, very important city that we're going to see in just a minute as we get into the text a little bit more. But in, on this plain out in here, there was a huge battle was fought. And um, when G Julius Caesar was assassinated, Brutus and uh, Cassius took off to the east. And Mark Anthony and Octavian raised an army in Rome. And they set out. And, they t and those four generals met and fought a huge battle right out here. The city of Philippi stayed loyal to Rome, where other cities did not. And that has consequences that we're going to see in just a minute. Well, Octavian, Octavius ends up becoming Caesar Augustus. Okay, so that's a little of the background history of what's going on right in this general area right here. So a little closer look. Paul would have come in from here, this direction. This goes off to Neapolis this way. He would have come in. There was a wall, and you can see part of it right here, that used to go all the way up to the, to the crest of the mountain, hooked around. Then it came down, down through here. So it was a walled city. The farming area and the industrial area was over here. And over back in here, out of the picture, were a series of, of creeks and rivers back there, which will become part of our story. Now, why am I spending so much time on this? Well, because God's word does, see? 
God wants us to know something, but he wants us to know it in the historical context so the story comes alive for us of what he is doing through real people like you and I that happen to get recorded right here. Okay, so the next thing we want to look at is a little bit closer overview um, because some of this is where the story takes place. You can obviously see the theater over here. Look. That was unfortunate. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> you know, Dan, where are you, Dan? I hope this new church you've got has a PowerPoint. Because <laughs> I, I, I can't talk without a PowerPoint. <laughs> okay. Don't do that, you guys. <laughs> All right. So I, okay, here we go. I didn't mean to do that. All right, hang on, we'll get it. There we are. Okay, so the theater's over here. Here's the wall that I just showed you. There's a little remnant here that goes up, up the mountain up there. You know, you've got all these different things here, and I can give you a couple definitions real quick of what those are, because I didn't know what those things were. Uh, an arterium is an open-roofed entrance hall. A basilica is a court of law or a public assembling and gathering place. A palestra is a school for sports and exercise. An agora is an open space of markets and assemblies. So that gives you some idea of, of what, you know, how the whole city of Philippi was laid out. And Paul would have come in again this direction right through here. Okay. So just a couple more quick slides to give you an idea. This is the theater. It's interesting. If you look closely, it's still being used. There are light standards or, or speaker standards here and here, and there's a little podium up here of some sort, projection box or something. But anyway, that's, you know, obviously is still being used, which is kind of cool. But, you know, can you imagine all the work that went into that, cutting that into the side of a mountain without any hydraulics or, or shovels or, or, you know, like uh, big heavy equipment and everything? It's amazing. So moving on, this is just another view of portions of the ruins that you can go see if you ever have the opportunity to go to Philippi. Now, let's pick up the text down in verse 13. Well, let me, let me back up and let's go back to 12 just a second. And from there they went to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia. Now that leading city was, if you look at the next, a Roman colony. And that's significant for us to understand. A Roman colony is basically a miniature Rome. It has its own laws, its own governing body, social standards, everything. If you went to a colony, like in the early days, if you'd come to the American colonies, you would have experienced Great Britain. You're reestablishing your own system of everything in that city. So they had Roman citizenship, they had Roman laws, Roman courts, everything. The whole culture was Roman. Okay, and the Lord puts this in here, a Roman colony that we'll understand something as the story unfolds for us. This is an important city, the most important city in Macedonia. 
And it was that way it was important because it had remained loyal to Rome during the battle where other cities did not. So Rome in, infused upon them the significance of being a, a Roman colony. Then going down to verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate of a riverside, to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now that's really important to understand something about Philippi, because to have a synagogue in a town or a city, you had to have at least 10 heads of households that were Jewish to establish the synagogue. So it's very possible there weren't that many there. Jews oftentimes, Israelites would oftentimes go down to the river areas to have an assembly to pray and to, to worship, which would be singing the songs, reading the Torah, praying together. And look what it says here. Um, we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, that's kind of curious, isn't it? Do we know that there were any men there? We don't. But Paul and his companions sat down with the women and began to speak with them. You never know who the audience is going to be to share the Lord with. And he meets Lydia. Now, obviously, I had to really dig in the ancient files to find this picture of her. But actually, as I was studying for this message, that woman there that we have a picture of portrayed Lydia. And the way she's dressed and everything, they researched what she might have looked like, all these kind of things. But I, I grabbed that picture for this reason, to emphasize that these are real people, just like you and I, that the Lord is going to touch and use to share the gospel message. Now, we learn, as you look at this picture, just kind of keep that in your mind, we learn some things about Lydia from Acts 16:14. A certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of Paul. Now, what I have on the slide She's from the city of Thyatira, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Because what is going to happen here, and like Shane's artwork today, we're going to see the crossroads of two lives, two people coming together, neither one of them from Philippi. But Paul is coming up from Antioch, and Lydia is coming from Thyatira. She's a merchant of purple fabrics, and we're going to talk about that and explore that, because that's an important part of this story too. A worshiper of God. But she's also a listener, okay? She doesn't know this man. I'm going to knuckle, Joe. She does not know this man, but she's willing to listen to hear what he says. And she's a resident of Philippi, okay? So she's not going back and forth between Thyatira and Philippi. She is a resident there. We know that from at the end when she talks about her house. So we're starting to learn in that little verse some important things about this woman. Now, she's a dealer in purple. Now, purple in those days was an exceedingly difficult dye to get. And it comes from this, this sea snail. Sea snail. Say that ten times quick. Bolinus brandis. 
Now that is found in the, the habitat of that is found in the central and western Mediterranean Sea. But Lydia doesn't come from there, okay? She comes from Thyatara. Now, Thyatara is up here, right there. And now she right now is up here at Philippi. Now Paul starts down here, Antioch, and goes all the way up through here, and now he's at Philippi. So circumstances in life have brought these two people together that aren't even from this area. I think the take-home point here is that God is orchestrating all this. One is going to be through commerce, the other is through a missionary journey. But he's bringing the messenger and the recipient of the message together, sovereignly ordained. And you know, every contact we have with people is sovereignly ordained. And, the, and one of the things I want to emphasize with us, are we going to be the message to them or are we just going to proclaim the message to them? And I'll, in a little bit, I'll explore that a little bit more. So they're in Philippi, and she came all the way from Thyatira. Now, here's the key. Remember the sea, sea snail? <laughs> okay. In Thyatira, there's this plant, the matter plant. Big deal, right? It is a big deal, and here's why. Because the matter root, you get red and purple dye. In fact, that red dye is what the British redcoats used when they fought the Americans, the colonists. It was from there. Isn't that interesting? And you can see the different colors. The root of the matter plant has all these chemicals in it that if processed correctly, you can get all these different hues and shades of dye. Now, there's something else that's important here for us to realize is because in Thyatara, there were guilds. There was a Cooper's Guild because it was a very rich mining area. There's also a Dyer's Guild, of which probably Lydia was a part, having been from Thyatara. She had connections, okay? Purple was worth its weight in gold, purple fabric. So she is a businesswoman from Thyatara why does she in Philippi? She's in Philippi because that's the richest and most important city around. There are noblemen there. There are government leaders there. That's where the market is. It's the merchandising of that purple that takes her to Philippi because she's a merchant dealing in a very valuable substance. But she's probably also a member of the guild. And the guilds were some of the most hostile groups to Christianity because each guild in those days had their own God that favored their guild and you worship that God. So she's a worshiper of God, it says, but we don't know yet which God it is. You with me on that? Okay. So the, the picture I think is really interesting of what the Lord's setting up here when we do just a little bit of, of background with it. <coughs> okay. So, look at verse 14 again. Now, Paul's sharing the gospel with these gals. <clears throat> and there's a lot in verse 14. A worshiper of God was listening. She was listening to what Paul was saying. And the Lord opened her heart. Now, I suspect almost all of us have attempted to share the gospel with people. 
and many times we have seen it's just like it's just blank you know there's nothing there they're not interested and then other times something clicks you know I had a client one time we met and Drew was with me and we met him in a restaurant and we had never talked about the Lord or anything like that and Drew had just gotten back from a, a trip to um, Tibet and so this man was just asking Drew, and Drew was sharing about that, and he just clicked. He says, tell me more. What were you doing there? Why did you go there? And from that, we shared the gospel with him. And from that, he got involved in serving the Lord. See, Drew goes all the way to Tibet, comes back, meets in a restaurant with a guy, shares the experience, and the light goes on. The Lord opens his heart. Now, there's a big time debate, you know, Armenianism, Calvinism, you know, does God do it all? Do we do it all? You know, we fight, we've been fighting about that for 2,000 years. We're never going to figure it out. But something happens when the Lord opens a heart to receive the gospel. So, again, don't be discouraged if you get a blank wall. You know, pray that they'll have the faith to believe. That's what the Ephesians passage talks about. You know, it takes faith to believe that somebody went to a cross 2,000 years ago and shed his blood for us. It takes faith to believe that. And Paul writes that to us in Philippians. But she, re she re responded to the word. And then it goes on to say that she and her household were baptized. Let's read it from the text, verse 14 uh, and 15. A worshiper of God was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. You know what Paul was saying. He was talking all about Jesus and what Jesus had done. And when she and her household, her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us to do that. So, Here's what we want to look at this, what happened. She was a worshiper of God, but we don't know the context exactly. It could have been the God of the Purple Dying Guild. It could have been the Hebrew concept of God, the Jewish concept of God. But she was a worshiper of God. But in verse 15, she becomes faithful to God. There's a transformation of heart. Something happened. And it's a, tr it's a transition of relationship from knowledge of God to a relationship with the Lord. And I say Lord because it's master. We're willing to submit our lives to Jesus Christ, to be a follower of Christ. It's not that we're going to accept that gift of salvation that Paul was sharing with us this morning and just go our merry way. If you're a true believer, it changes your lifestyle. It causes other priorities to bubble to the top. Lydia becomes the message of the gospel. Because see, here's what she does. She opens her home to minister to them. Now that doesn't sound like much, but that is huge. Because she just denied the God of the guild. She accepts Jesus Christ, and what does she do? All of a sudden, she's not thinking about herself. She becomes a servant to others. 
When you come to know Jesus Christ, truly come to know him and not just know of him, but have a relationship with him, priorities change. And it becomes more important to serve than to be served. Walking the way rather than just wondering is believing the message, becoming the message, and it transforms our value system from being a servant is of a higher calling than being served. And that takes us back to the scripture that Millie read for us. So jump back with me to Philippians a minute. Philippians chapter 2. Millie read from verse 1 down through 8, I believe it was. And let me re reiterate. Paul's writing back to these people that he's having experience with right now. And he's writing from prison in Rome. And we'll explore that more in the, in the days ahead. He says, make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What's the one purpose? He follows it up by outlining it for us. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he says why. Why that's going to happen. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. And he went to the cross to die for us. And that's what we remember as we celebrate communion. When God implants the Holy Spirit into our hearts, when he draws us to himself, we become children and sons of God, like the firstborn son. And we have to. It becomes our nature to become servants because the old has passed away, behold, all things have become new. We move from being totally selfish, moving toward being selfless, considering the needs of others more important than yourselves. And I think that, I know that, is where so much of the modern church has failed. We can stand here and we can preach the gospel, and then we can go out there and we're still wrapped up in self. We haven't become the gospel. See, and Lydia became the gospel. And we're going to see next week the Philippian jailer, right after this, does the same thing. They become the gospel. That's what it's about, family. It says, love one another. Well, love is not selfish, is it? 1 Corinthians 13. Love embraces others. And we all do that in different ways by serving one another, being cared for by one another, taking care of one another, looking out for the interests of one another. But it comes back to this. Don't do anything from selfishness. And if God lives within your heart, that should be permeating your lifestyle. And it should be permeating in mine. Paul took a guy that knew nothing about logging 
and did his best to train him, but at least he gave him a job. He could have found a lot better people to do that. But he took care of the family in doing it. That's looking out needs of others. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Lydia's example. Hmm. Thank you for this rich story of how you intersected two lives at a crossroad. Thank you that we that love you have intersected your life at a crossroad and made a decision to be Christ followers. And as we've done that, Father, we just, um, we just pray you'd use us, whether it's in this building or another building or in a tent or out in a field. We don't care. We're here to proclaim Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and not only by word, but by loving others in the process. Strengthen us to do that during the difficult times. Strengthen us to trust you when the doors are shut, knowing that you know the very best for us and you have a divine appointment for us someplace and sometime. We love you. We thank you for these promises. We thank you for this story. And we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.